As a Christian, do you feel like an outlier? Chaim Paddock is an American rabbi, scholar, writer. In 1967, he published a novel that became well-known. The Chosen was the title. It was on the New York bestseller list for the better part of a year. I read it soon after it was published. It's a story of two Jewish boys growing up in different Jewish communities in New York City during the 40s and 50s. Danny Saunders, in the book, is a son of an Hasidic Jewish rabbi. As you probably know, Hasidic Jews are very distinct in their appearance, in their practice. They dress in black pants. They wear white shirts buttoned to the top. They wear what look like long black Suit coats. They wear black hats that are sometimes trimmed with fur. They have side curls that come down in front of their ears. In short, everything about an ascetic Jew is distinctive. The way they dress, the way they live their lives in, in strict discipline. In the story told by Potok, Danny Saunders befriends a Jew, another Jewish boy from a more liberal Jewish background. His name is Reuven Malter. Reuven doesn't have the strange appearance of Danny. He's Jewish, but he looks and dresses like an ordinary New York teenager. But he still studies the Talmud. The story is told by Shane Pollock is a powerful chronicle of how two young men struggle to live out their faith in the 40s and 50s in New York. They are both different from the world around them. Both are Jewish. They come from a people who have been ostracized, persecuted all over the world for thousands of years. Danny Saunders is as an Hasidic Jew, stands out wherever he is, stands out in the world around him far more than Reuven Malter does. But Reuven still must decide how he will practice his faith as he joins the Zionists in New York who want to create a Jewish state, a homeland for the Jews. So why am I speaking to you about these, the story of these two Jewish young men. For the next few weeks, we will be looking at the subject of sanctification. What is sanctification? We read the theological definition this morning. We read it together. Perhaps you already had it memorized. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are enabled whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Now that's the theological definition in the catechism. Let's bring that down to where we live. Sanctification 
means that you will be like Danny Saunders and Reuben Malter. Why? We're not Jewish. Yet, because of sanctification, you will think and act differently than the world around you. As I read the book and later watched the movie, I identified as a Christian with those two young men. As I began to prepare this message, my mind automatically went back to that novel, to Danny Saunders and Reuben Malter. They were trying to live out the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They were trying to live out God's revelation in the Old Testament. They were trying to live out, they would say, the Old Testament through the teaching of the Talmud. The Talmud is a massive, massive work of thousands of rabbis that's memorized and studied by Jewish young men. That meant that these two young men were walking to a different beat, to a different drummer than the world around them. But Jesus brings something far more powerful to our lives than the Talmud. Go back, go back to the definition, the biblical definition of sanctification. Put your personal name in there. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace in John Sartell. Put your name in there. Whereby John Sartell is being renewed in the image of God, and I'm being able more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. It is the work of God in our lives subsequent to salvation. We think about our salvation, we think about justification. Justification occurs when our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is imputed, is given to us. Chris Treat used to say when he was minister here, Jesus gives, takes our F and he gives us his A. God declares us righteous. Not because we're sinless, but because Jesus has taken our sin. He's taken our guilt. He's taken our punishment upon himself and given us his righteousness. Now, that's the gospel. Our judicial position before God has been changed. If the Lord takes you home this afternoon, you can stand. It's, it's incredible. You can stand before all his holiness, before the throne of God, before the angels in, in that Perfection. You can stand there and say, who can bring a charge against me? Because Christ has died. But that does not change our being. There's more to the gospel. You see, in salvation, the very being of the Christian has been changed, not just his judicial position. Our personal spiritual condition who we are has been changed. That's the teaching of the gospel. Our hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again in the power of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. 
that same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that has changed our lives, changed us from the inside out. He comes to reside in us, to dwell in us. I have a question for you. How can that happen? How can the Holy Spirit of the living God change our hearts, come reside in us, and it not affect the way we live? It must affect the way we live. How can that happen and our lives not be changed? That's the stated subject of Peter's first letter. Look at it. Look at the very first verse, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, whom he's writing, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now look, look what's next. In the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, on your scripture sheet, I have put in there, added how the New International Version translates those first two verses. And they do it in a way that I think is clearer and just as accurate than the ESV. Look at the scripture sheet where it says NIV, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, comma, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you are who you are by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. He called them exiles. We'll come back to that in a minute. But he said, you're who you are because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The word sanctify means to make holy. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is making us holy. Now, the root word for sanctifying there is the word for holy. We see it used in the 15th verse there. Look at 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The word there for holy and the word for sanctify is the same word. Do you understand? The word sanctify and the word holy in Hebrew and in Greek means to separate, to cut and set aside, to cut and set apart in the Old Testament. That's what the word holy means. In the Old Testament, when when something was being set apart for use in the tabernacle, for God's use, it was anointed. Like if if this pulpit had been in the tabernacle or in the temple, they would have anointed the pulpit. They would have set it apart in that anointing for God's work. They anointed candlesticks. They anointed altars. Everything that was anointed was set apart. The anointing system, or baptism, our baptism grew out of the anointing system in the Old Testament. In baptism, we are being anointed and set apart for holy use. We're being anointed and set apart for God's use. We're being sanctified, set apart for God's use. Does baptism change us? No, it's just a symbol. It is a symbol of a changed heart that you've been born again. That's what sets us apart. 
but the work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a symbol of the Holy Spirit anointing and residing with us. That's what sets us apart. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We're set apart from our former lives, from the lives we would have lived without Christ, without being born again. We're set apart to a new life. What does, and here's the point for the morning, what does the sanctification process do to us? It makes us different. That's why we ask the question, as a Christian, do you feel like an outlier? It makes us different. Sanctification or seeking to die to sin and live to Christ, dying to the power of sin in your life and living to be holy, means that you're just going to be different from those who don't follow Christ. It means you're going to be different from those that are not born again. It means that you'll be different from who you once were. That's the whole subject of this morning. Just the simple fact we're different. It's a difference that sanctification makes. That the Christian, that a group of Christians will always be different than the secular world around them. And if they're not, something is wrong. Peter continually refers to this difference. Now let's go back to that first verse again where he called them exiles. Look at, look at the NIV translation. Let's read it again. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect, exiles scattered throughout the province, provinces of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ. He calls them exiles. It's like you're exiles in the world. You're different. Now, at first glance, we think he's referring to the diaspora. The diaspora or the dispersion began around 500 BC as Jews' wars, because of, because of the wars with Babylon, wars with Greece, wars with Rome, Jews were scattered all over the Mediterranean area east, north, south, west. You had colonies in all these major cities, Jewish colonies. And at first glance, you think, well, Peter is, is speaking and in, in just speaking to those exiles. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. All these churches we know from Paul's writing, all these churches were not only filled with Jews, they were filled with Gentiles. He was speaking, and we'll see this later, he was speaking to Jews and Gentiles, not just the Jews of the diaspora, but he was using the diaspora, the dispersion, as a metaphor of who the church is. Peter's using the dispersion of the Jews to describe the condition of the entire church. He's saying you're exiles in this world. Strangers in this world, peculiar in this world, sojourners in this world, pilgrims in this world. To us in Fayette County this morning, he would say, you're exiles in Fayette County. You're exiles in this world. You're set apart. In these first two chapters, the major, they, they, these two chapters major in the Christian sanctification. 
You listen to any theologian teach this or a reputable Bible scholar teach this, and he's going to talk about sanctification from the beginning to the end. Talks about the difference, that they are different. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. He repeats it. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter was speaking to all the Christians in all the churches in that region. If they had been moved to Israel somehow, they would still be exiles. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of flesh which wage war against your soul. They are exiles, strangers, sojourners, pilgrims because of their sanctification. That's the reason. That's the sole reason. They're living different lives than the world around them. Now, this is, you see this theme in other books in the New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look on your scripture sheet. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, turn there, verses 8 through 10, and then verse 13. By faith, he's using this example of Abraham to speak to the Jews or speak to the Christians of his day. The writer of Hebrews is. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, was to he, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Do you see it? Peter could have written that. That's what Peter was writing in the first two chapters. You're different. We're not different. I thought about this this week. We both know, all of us know somebody that's just odd. It seems like they get up every morning to go out and say, and they go out into the world saying, I'm going to be odd today. They live their lives doing that. But that's not how we go out into the world as Christians. We don't go out saying, I'm going to be different today. I'm going to be odd today. No, we go out saying, we're going to follow Jesus. I will seek to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. I will seek to look at the I will seek to hear the world through the ears of Jesus. I will, I will seek to speak to the world with the mind and heart of Jesus. You do that and you're going to be different from the world around you. It's not an effort to be odd. It's not an effort to be different. It's an effort to follow Jesus, to follow the Holy Spirit in your heart, in his word that's in your mind. So we see the difference that sanctification brings. That difference occurs because it's been changed by the Holy Spirit, because I've been changed by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, that difference occurs because I'm seeking to follow Jesus. Fourthly, that difference does not mean an isolation from the world. Now listen to me. This is how so many Christians have gotten, gotten off on the subject of sanctification. They think sanctification is isolation from the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's a lie from Satan himself. When you see 
a group of Christians that are separate, completely isolated in their own little Christian sphere know this. They're not there because they understand the truth of Christ. They're there because they've believed a lie. Satan does not want. Satan, Satan does not want us as powerful agents of change to be engaged with his world. What was it Jesus said? You are the salt of the earth. In your sanctification, in your distinction, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We're to be agents of change for Christ in this rotting and dark world. How can we be agents of change? Because of the work of sanctification. As we deal with sanctification, there are two cliffs over which we can plunge and get it totally wrong. I can say that I must be so different that I can't have any contact with the world around me. And I just surround myself with other Christians. I don't have anybody else. I don't read anything else. And I live in my little Christian bubble, my little Christian sphere. I had a dear friend in the ministry. A wonderful man. I loved him so much. He, he preached in the, I had him preach in the church where I was in Virginia. He was very, very, he's from another denomination. He was very, very, very strict. As we were getting to know each other, I asked him if he had read a certain book by C.S. Lewis. And he looked at me in absolute shock. He said, you read Lewis? I said, yes, I, I love his writings. And he was completely confused. He wouldn't even touch a book by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an Anglican and that to him was to much, much too close to the Roman Catholic Church. My friend would have certainly not wasted his time reading Plato or Aristotle or studying some political philosophies. Now, that story did have a good ending. I gave him a book before he left. He was visiting with me before he left. I, I gave him a book by Lewis, and I said, just do me a favor. Just, just read this book, and you can call me back and tell me I'm all wrong. He called me back the next week, and he said, are you coming? Are you coming over next week? And I said, yes, I am. He said, bring another book. He was learning. In sanctification, you're engaged with this world. In John 17, Jesus is talking to, with his father. It's an intimate prayer. Look at it. I have given, he's saying to the father, Father, I have given my disciples your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. But as I'm, just as I'm not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. You see that? I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And read on. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. I'm not of the world. Look. Look what he says. Mark this. Verse 17. Sanctify. Make holy. Sanctify them in the truth. And as you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. He's not sent us into isolation, people. He has sent us into the world because our sanctification will be salt and light in that world. Sanctification, as Jesus defines it, is meant to be engaged with the world. 
We run off of the cliff if we insulate ourselves from the world into complete isolation. But there's another cliff on the other side of this path of sanctification. We plunge off of that cliff when we so identify the world that we, with the world that we look like the world, we sound like the world, we sin like the world, we act like the world. The evangelical church in this country today is so dangerously close to that cliff. This has happened because the Christian, the church, is trying to adhere to the doctrine of justification. I'm saved. I'm saved by grace. Stressing grace to the point that holiness is ignored. They, lay us, they, they cling to justification but lay aside sanctification and live like the world. If we compromise with sin in our lives, live and let live, if we fail to bring the light of God's word through our lives, if we go out and live like the world and just fail to bring the light of God's word to the world around us, just like the person will not be an agent of change in his little isolated fear, neither is this compromised, worldling Christian going to have any effect on the world around him. It's ironic, isn't it? The Christian who strives to be holy but lives in isolation does not affect the world for Christ. And he's just like the libertine who goes the worldly Christian who abandons sanctification in order to live like the world and be comfortable. Both the same or have the same effect. Know this. Know this. This is the point. You are an exile, an alien, a stranger. A peculiar person in this world. I wish that this congregation was full of teenagers this morning to hear this. It's uncomfortable to be a Christian. It's uncomfortable to seek holiness. It will make you uncomfortable to seek to follow Jesus daily in the world because the world will, is not doing that. If you're in high school or college, if you're a businessman or businesswoman in Fayette County, it matters not if you are a contractor, electrician or plumber. If you're in agriculture teaching, you are living in a secular, ungodly culture that is hostile to Christianity, hostile to Christians living out their faith in the public square. That's what Christ means us to be. Jesus calls us to live different lives. Jesus calls us to be different, to be outliers. That means we will indeed feel like we're aliens living in a secular world. It means we will feel like we are exiles, exiles from the world. It means we will feel like we're strangers as we walk through that world. It means that sometimes we'll feel peculiar. It means that we will feel ostracized because the world wants us to feel ostracized and alienated. So we will be intimidated. The whole purpose of the world, the whole purpose of Satan in our culture right now to marginalize the church. And that's what's happened. We're out on the edges. We've been marginalized. Yes, we will feel like we're swimming upstream. Yes, we will be mocked by following Jesus and refusing the world's casual, immoral attitudes and practices in every part of life, sexual matters, whatever. Yes, we'll be made to feel unsophisticated. Yes, we'll be made to feel uneducated. But I want to close with this. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. Look at it. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate 
in order to sanctify the people. You see that? He suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him. That's what we're doing when we're being different. We're following Jesus. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. Let's go to him in exile at Calvary and bear the reproach he endured. Thursday night, I mentioned to our Thursday night group, a man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German, born in Germany, came from a prominent German family. His family hoped that he would be a composer, a great scholar, a lawyer, a teacher. But in college, the Lord called him to his called him to ministry. It was a great disappointment to his family. But he stayed on track and he followed Christ. He watched the rise of the Nazis, the third, the Nazis, the Third Reich in Germany. He preached from the pulpit. He brought righteousness. He brought God's word to bear on, on the political situation around him. He was in a dangerous position. Princeton offered him a teaching position. He went to Princeton. He was safe. He was safe. But he told his friend Karl Barth, I can't stay away. His sanctification was calling him back into Germany. He wrote this, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I want to read that again. Silence, this is Bonhoeffer, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is indeed to speak. Not to act is to act. And he went back and he began to preach. He was arrested. He was in prison for the better part of two years. He was executed one month before the Third Reich fell. One month before Hitler committed suicide. He was hanged. Executed. There was a doctor in that camp. I didn't read this to the group on Thursday night. I knew that I was going to read it this morning. This is what that doctor wrote of Bonhoeffer. And keep in mind, he had been in that prison teaching and preaching inside the prisoners. All kinds of people today that still talk that have written about what they learned from him in prison. This is what the doctor wrote. This is the day he was executed. The prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of the court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. Do you see that? I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again kneeled and prayed and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued a few, in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, 
I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. That's what sanctification is. Entirely being submissive to the will of God. That's what Bonhoeffer was doing that day. He was the exile going outside the gate to meet his Savior. Amen.